Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. You know, for a couple of years, I'd say the most common investigation request I would get was why doesn't Lafayette recycle glass? Uh, the natural follow-up, of course, is, well, what happens to it? And, and for most of the glass you use, it ends up in a landfill, even the stuff you thought you were recycling all those years ago. And, and here's a disturbing fact. Glass takes one million years to degrade in a landfill. Um, think carefully about that before you toss um, your, your High Life bottle in the trash can. Um, there is another option, and I'm not going to talk about recycling. We're talking about upcycling. What's the difference, you might ask? Finding a new and improved use for your rubbish, right? So glass actually makes great mulch. It keeps the weeds, mold, and mildew at bay. It doesn't have to be changed out too much. And it's lovely. It'll make your garden glimmer. So how do you make it? Well, my guest, Tina Crapsey of uh, Backyard Sapphire, does it with a glass crusher she built herself. The Annihilator can turn a case of beer into a pound of mulch in 15 seconds. Uh, Backyard Sapphire processes the glass and turns it into custom blends of colorful mulch. The service went viral quickly, and Tina and her partner Don signed up a few dozen subscription customers for curbside pickup and have begun working with local businesses too, bit by bit. Backyard Sapphire's grassroots approach is keeping tons of glass out of local landfill. Tina Krebsy, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. It's very nice to be here. Um, so we're trying to clean up the ground, but what about the air we breathe? You know, carbon emissions aren't the only toxin affecting our respiratory health. And in Louisiana, you know, it's mold is, a, is, is the constant battle. Mold grows fast. It'll spread with just 60% humidity in the air. And, you know, Louisiana, it's about 100% all the time. Um, now imagine what happens after a hurricane. A home exposed to water can be overwhelmed with mold very, very quickly. Uh, and we've actually managed to make this problem worse in the modern era. Uh, drywall and aesthetic glues have made building homes cheaper, but they've also created breeding grounds for mold and, and just a little bit of water can create some serious problems. That means mold remediation is an essential business in our neck of the woods, but it's actually not that common. And my guest, Nicole uh, Winger, and her husband founded DryMax in 2010 to respond to that gap. Uh, Nicole previously worked in architecture and did res- restoration work in post-Katrina New Orleans. And DryMax has since come to specialize in mold remediation, working a range of projects from post-disaster cleanup to remediating historic buildings. In Louisiana, there's no shortage of work in the mold business, and Nicole spends a lot of her time teaching customers about what to look for in a quality mold contractor, even if she can't take their work. Nicole Winger, welcome out to lunch. Thank you. Um, so, Tina, I am a little concerned that people are going to hear this show and start shipping you trash bags full of glass. Um, and, and all Me this too. stuff. <laughs> so, all of this stuff just goes into your backyard. So, how much more glass can you even take at this point? Um, I have a hard time saying no to, to the glass. Uh, we could probably take a lot more, but we are definitely at a max level right now before we get some before we get the new machinery that we plan on getting very soon could you give me like a ballpark figure how much tons pounds however you measure it how much glass do you have in your yard at any one time at any one time right now we probably hmm with it with it all mulched up and crushed we probably have uh two tons of Mm -hmm. it crushed and we probably have maybe two more to three no maybe two tons of it ready to be crushed and so I have, we have a section of scraped bottles, and that goes to our sort of 
primo mulch, and then the unscraped is our rough mix mulch. Whoa. Okay, so I'm sure a lot of folks, right, hear about this and like, okay, glass can be mulch. I mean, I, I am yeah. still surprised by that, although I've seen it in action. So, but, but how does glass work as mulch? How, like, how do you actually get that to happen? Well, the way it's crushed, it just becomes a really nice glistening pebble. So if you were to put pebbles anywhere you would put rocks or pebbles or a rock garden, mm-hmm. it sort of falls in line with the same sort of And, and stuff can grow through it? Yeah, yeah. Stuff grows through it. Very, if you plant a plant and then put it around it, it's totally fine. I mean, it, and it keeps the, the, it doesn't float away when it rains and it keeps, you know, like when mud splashes on the bottom of your plants, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. It doesn't do that. It just, just stays. It's really it, nice. Do, are, are people like when they come to your, to your, to your place, I mean, are they, do most people like kind of look and they, they're, they're trying to figure out, okay, I want to buy this because this particular mulch is good for one I grow, or are they looking at it and say, like, I really like that color? I mean, we, how do you even, like, kind of, like, as a customer who's, you know, I mean, to me, I'm just sort of, like, different kinds of woods, I guess, like, that I would right. do with mulch. I don't think a lot about it. So how does that work? I think it, I, I think, like anything, it's shiny and pretty. Okay. And so people are interested in wanting to use it somewhere in their, in their gardens, maybe their fish tanks or plants or wherever, you know. Yeah. There's a couple different uses for it. But also, people really like the sustainability factor. I mean, you're taking, you're taking maybe what you drink in like six months and have someone chop it up for you, and now you have your your flower bed has a better look, and none of it is in the landfill. Yeah. And eventually, when it does go down, it's just kind of like having sand or pebble in, into the earth, which is definitely less invasive than a bottle that will never go away. Hmm. I mean, um, speaking of maybe invasive species. Nicole, I was actually really surprised to learn that new construction is more prone to mold than older buildings, right? Because yeah. my, my first thought whenever I was like kind of thinking through this was like, I live in an old house, right? And so like, um, you know, I just kind of figured I was slowly poisoning myself. But, um, you know, <laughs> do, do you often have projects where you're, you're kind of brought into a situation where you're having to tell people like, hey, I'm really sorry, but we're going to have to rip this thing to the studs. And they're thinking to themselves, but I got like a new house. I mean, I, I, I didn't think, I mean, I'm, I'm just curious if, if there's a, if it's often the case that you're finding that like you're uncovering a mold problem maybe that somebody didn't even realize they had the extent to which the extent of it. Yes, and it's not typical that you're having to take the entire home back down to studs yeah. unless you had a major hurricane damage where it came in from the roof and water you know gravity mm-hmm. went you know from the very top all the way down to the bottom. So that would be the only time where you would typically see that. The times where people are surprised is when you uncover it, uh, like high humidity mold mm. in places where they weren't looking, let's say uh, maybe in a, an upstairs or a cathedral ceiling or around an HVAC system. And it's usually, like I said, it's usually not extensive where it's covering most of the house, but it is a surprise in how do we control the humidity in this brand new home. Or that is more typically the surprise. Hmm. This home was only constructed a year and a half ago, and why do I have mold now? So that's the part that causes probably most of the stress. Wow. Okay, so even that new, I mean, you're looking at a year and a half. I mean, how does that even happen is it just like a simple hole and then just a little water gets in or is it something yeah, usually, usually more it is a simple problem um that can go now in a year and a half old home they usually catch it pretty quickly 
so usually a few more years older. Honestly, the biggest problem around it is, I'd say, around HVAC systems. Mm -hmm. People don't realize we use our air conditioning the majority of the year. And think about it, even in the wintertime, do you even go all day without having your air conditioning system come on? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's maybe the heat in the morning and AC by four in the afternoon. So really maintenance is probably the biggest problem. We run this thing all of the time, the heat load and what it's trying to do in your home, uh, getting through the summer, especially getting into September, it's like it's tired. It, mm -hmm. It's, you know, get a lot of dirt and debris that needs to be addressed. Uh, duct work needs to be inspected. So most of the time it's around AC maintenance that mm -hmm. uh, it's just not capable of removing the moisture that it really needs to. And it usually starts showing itself by August. Um, so yeah, so that's the time of the to address it is obviously the winter or the spring before yeah. AC companies are so rolling busy that they can't even get to you. Have they not just figured out materials that can keep this away? Like I, I had a renovation done in my house recently and there was some like pink wood and I asked the guy like, what, what's with the pink wood? And he's like, that's what they spray on it to keep mold. I mean, is it just not that effective? Not if you have moisture. So really the biggest key, the first area in looking at mold is where's the water at? Because what mold won't grow without water. If it loses its moisture source, it just goes dormant. Hmm. So most of the time it's either high humidity where you have over 60% in your home or you had a plumbing leak and it's leaking and it doesn't matter how hmm. well it's treated, eventually mold will still grow. It'd slow it down, hmm. but it still would grow. So I'm starting to think about water intrusion a little bit. I mean, you're getting, um, Tina, you're getting like, you know, trash bags, barrels, whatever, full of people's discarded beer bottles, I mean, whatever it might be. <laughs> I mean, I, I know with recycling, for instance, like contamination could be an issue, right? Like, you know, if you're going to properly recycle something, you've got to wash yeah. it out before you throw it in there. I mean, is there a process that you have to, that a person has to go through to make sure that what they give you is suitable to be turned into, into the mulch? Uh, the process is we, we ask that everything is thoroughly rinsed. Um, liquor bottles are really awesome because they're just clean and liquor doesn't get too funky. Mm -hmm. um, wine is okay because, I mean, the turnaround, it doesn't sit that long in the yard, so mm -hmm. that's okay too. But um, the food can get really gross really quickly, so that is that is the contaminant. That's the main grossest thing. What's, so. what's the... Why do I feel like I can't think of a food that comes in a glass bottle? I mean, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> wait, wait, what's the, what's the I number mean, one culprit that you're pick, like? Oh, um, well, pickle jars are super common, but they are very clean because it's a vinegar, so sure. you don't have to worry about yeah, that. Okay, um, but yeah. sauce jars and uh, condiments, yeah. things like that, it, everything can get really funky really quick, as you know. I mean, ooh, it's gross. <laughs> so I would just, you know, it's just bad. And then other contaminations are glass. That, you know, I'm not really, I'm not a scientist, so I'm not really sure about certain glasses. So the food grade is the safest bet to mm -hmm. put back in the earth in one way or another after it's been crushed with no, with no um, repercussions. But microwave trays, we get a lot of those and we can't, we can't crush that up and put that in there because that's a different kind of glass. Mm -hmm. Or the corningware, there's, you know, or um, tempered, it's just different kind of stuff, you know, there's, there's other... There's other chemicals in there, so we don't we don't go there. That would be our contaminants. So, I mean, how, and then you're selling this stuff what by the bag, right? I mean, yeah, and how, by the bag how much and do you sell pound. it for? Uh, the the 25 pound bags are twenty dollars, mm -hmm. and then the five pound bag is twenty dollars of the uh, sapphire color, and the aquamarine colors, and the more rare bottles, hmm. uh, the more rare colors, and then we do sell. We have a bulk rate as well. We just I just delivered a, a half a ton over to a place that's going to have a really awesome water feature and 
they're going to have a half a ton of the mulch in there. What's going to be the water feature? Where does the mulch figure into the water feature? Uh, the base of it, where, you uh, know, like the bottom of the pond, sort yeah. of part of the, of the, it has a swamp thing. So it's going to be all of our amber and greens. Yeah. So it's going to look really nice. And when the light catches it, it's really, it's pretty mesmerizing. Yeah. I mean, Nicole, I'm curious. I mean, you know, I would imagine you're mostly dealing with people on like a cost estimate basis, right? I mean, you come in and saying, okay, well, this is how we think this is going to work. I mean, you know, I guess I'm just sort of curious, like how this how that ranges i mean you know and especially because i would imagine in a lot of cases you know you're opening something up and then you're finding oh well this might be a little more extensive than we thought i mean how does that work for your average customer um for the most part our team has gotten very good at seeing estimating plus determining where they believe the extensive damages are yeah and then some of our clients call us and they already have uh, mold testing and reports and protocols so you have more than one company working on this project. Mm -hmm. So yeah, there's always that variable where there could be a surprise. Typically those happen from long-term plumbing leaks. Mm -hmm. So let's say your kitchen sink faucet or the plumbing in that was leaking slow leak over a long period of time. Those are where the mystery happens because we don't know how many, you know, how much material uh, was absorbed by all that water. But that's, but usually we take a good educated guess. Does does no one like bring like a mold expert in on the front end of designing or building a home. I know you have a background in architecture, but it would seem to be like fairly smart. Like we kind of generally have an idea that there's going to be homes in this area with mold. And just, you know, having someone say like, you know, I think this design might make you vulnerable in this way. You're using this material. You're setting this up where the HVAC unit might leak on this gypsum or whatever it is. I mean, do we not kind of like try and take care of that problem on the front end at all? Yeah, they do. I mean, con- you know, construction companies, architects, especially on commercial buildings, a lot of thought goes into that. Yeah. Uh, sometimes the systems just fail or there's some unforeseen circumstance that happens mm-hmm. and then it has to get addressed at that time. So you do get surprises. Sometimes you get issues where you're mostly during renovations. So you don't have a single person or a contractor dictating all of the changes. A home is like a living, breathing system where one part affects another part. Hmm. So let's say you're the homeowner, you decide I'm changing my insulation from let's say a bat type insulation to foam. If you don't have a professional working with you to make sure that that change is not gonna affect other components in your home, that's where you run into problems. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mader. I'm talking with Nicole Winger of Drymax and Tina Crafty of Backyard Sapphire. So, so Tina, you, you guys are also now doing like curbside pickup, right? Yeah. I mean, so is it just, I mean, is it just you and, and Dawn that are doing all of this? Yeah. I mean, do you guys it, have a staff? <laughs> I mean, like if you're crushing the glass, you're collecting the glass, you're driving the truck, I guess, to go pick it up. How does that, I mean, how do you guys find time for all that? Um, We just... <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how we find it, yeah. but it 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 um, it has become it has become my full time job, and uh, and Dawn is is a high part time jobber. <laughs> I mean, we we do a lot of work um, in between the other parts of our lives and everything. So yes, we do all those things, and that's yeah. We pick up. We have routes five days a week that we pick up, and we just got three more curbside customers, which is really great. Yeah, and. Um, Another avenue is that we're we're going to be hopefully teaming up with a coastal restoration um, hmm, group that is working with the glass half full over in New Orleans, mm-hmm. and hopefully we can get on board with that and utilize some of the sand because basically we have crushed glass and the only thing that 
differentiates our products is the size of the crush. Mm. So the smallest stuff hopefully can go towards coastal restoration. Well, why the smallest stuff? Because it's because it's the oh, sand, and that's okay. you know what it would you know. That makes sense. So yeah. it's like it's the it, I mean because I guess at the end of the day, right? I mean glass is made of silica. It's like. Yeah. Basically sand, it's right? Basically sand, yeah. So you're kind of returning it to its natural habitat. <laughs> yes, we're setting it free. <laughs> um, I mean, how did you guys figure out how to price that first bag? I mean, like, I mean, I'm just like, I was thinking about this, like the raw material, right, is yeah. something that you're, I mean, you're collecting at some cost, right? You got to get it, you got to pay your gas to go pick up the truck. But I mean, like, I actually don't really know how they price wood mold either, but uh, I mean, right. would uh, wood mulch either. So how did you figure that out? I mean, did you have to look at, I mean, is there a standard rate for a bag of glass that you looked for? No, it was sort of, it's sort of just the amount of work that, and time that goes into it a little bit. And then um, kind of shopping for similar project products mm-hmm. on Etsy and seeing, seeing like, uh, just seeing what they sell it for. Um, not maybe specifically glass mulch, but things that are glass mulch called something else, you mm-hmm. know, um, for fire pits. Uh, people put it in and they could put our product in there or, you know, fish tank um, highlight thing. I don't know. I'm, I'm at a loss for words. The stuff you put at the bottom of a fish tank. The stuff you put on the top of your plants. Right. To make it look pretty. Yeah. And, um, you know, you just kind of price shop and you see what other people are doing. And we're like, okay, we kind of sell that kind of stuff. Let's let's do this. You that know? makes sense. I mean, it seems to be working when people are you know, interested. You sold a half ton of it for a water feature. So yeah. that's cool. Yeah. Um, you know, Nicole, Andrews, like your, your business is basically you and your husband, right? I mean, I know you have employees too, but I mean, are you yourself actively involved in like scraping the mold? I mean, kind of give me a sense of your division of labor. In the early years. Yes. When yeah. we first started, we yeah. did everything. And now we have a team of remediators who do most of the mold remediation. Yeah. We still get involved in a big commercial and yeah. complicated residential. So beyond what experience our team may have, then we'll get, and we have a lot of meetings, even about all the residential projects. Mm-hmm. So everything gets discussed over meetings before pricing it, before making decisions on remediation protocols. So we want to use the you know, full brain power of everyone's experience. How, how long does a typical project take? I mean, I know it, I'm sure it ranges, but like, I'm just trying to get a sense of how many of these things do you have to do a year? Or can you do a year? Oh, a small residential can be done sometimes in a day if it's really t- really small. Or yeah. in, in comparison, we have a old a historic building we're working on for over two months now. Wow. So uh, it's it's big and complicated. Uh, so it, it, the range is enormous. I actually got to say, and I feel like maybe I should have asked this earlier in our conversation. I don't actually know what it looks like to remediate mold like what does that actually mean i mean i get that the idea is that you get rid of it or you abate it or whatever but how is that done yeah that's an interesting question i think that's probably where the biggest misconception about mold remediation is is that most people think it's chemicals like what's the chemical you spray on it's like you spray something and go sure and that has almost nothing to do with it So mold remediation is about removing the mold spores, like Mm. physically getting them out of the house, whether that's through removal of material, but it's through HEPA vacuuming, HEPA air filtration devices to do air exchanges, like literally scrubbing the air and removing it from the air. And then also containing the the space you're working in. You'd never want to open up a wall that we know has mold in it without proper containment and air filtration. So nothing gets escapes that little room and gets into the rest of the house. That sounds complicated. It is complicated. (laughs) (laughs) It's complicated, but then it gets simple once you've been around it. So it's just keeping, 
yeah, containment and removal. Mm -hmm. And it, really, at the end of the day, we don't have to use a lot of chemicals when you do it correctly. And that's what makes us feel good about it because you, it truly, the original mold remediation, the protocols from years back, was truly a green process. Mm. Now, you've, they've added chemicals trying to short, shorten the time frame, but really, we haven't found it does. You really need to just use traditional industry standard protocols. Mm. And it leaves it safer, cleaner, and you don't have to worry about what did you just add or what chemical load did you just add to this building. I see. So like, you're literally in some cases having to like pull out bits of wall and replace it with a clean. I'm still trying to get, wrap my head around like when you're removing the spores from the air, like how does one actually do that? With machines. Like are you sucking it out with a vacuum cleaner with a special well, filter or something yes, like that? Yes, there okay. are those okay. two. But the first part is like we talked about containing it. Yeah. So you're building walls, like walls out of plastic yeah. with zippers. So that way the air is not going to escape that area or get into the HVAC system. Then, yes, sometimes you imagine like a plumbing leak and it's leaked for a long time. Literally the, the sheetrock is black and falling apart. Mm -hmm. And so of course our team is in full protective gear mm -hmm. and bagging that stuff up. And then they, uh, but before they even do that, they set up HEPA air filtration devices. That's literally all the air in that space is going through these massive HEPA filters or stages of filters. So that all the air going into that machine goes in really dirty and full of mold and comes out with none. Hmm. So, and you get enough air exchanges, it will literally clean all of the mold spores and other size particles out of the air. That's, okay, that's, the, yeah. I, I think I would have come into this like you assumed most people do, which is like, there was something you're gonna spray on it and then that's gonna make the mold go away. Um, it, Tina, I, I understand that you created, right, your first glass crushing device. And I was thinking to myself, okay, is there like a YouTube, explainer for that like how do you figure out how to do that I wouldn't know where to start well uh, yeah there's a YouTube for every single thing and <laughs> people really love making videos about everything sure it's crazy yeah um, I, I kind of rolled it around in my head and Dawn and I rolled around um, in our heads together and just talked about it and I just I'm always sort of building something in my head anyway and then I decided to get some ideas and see if people were making these things um, and I got, I don't know, some, there's a, yeah, there's a video for everything. So I kind of watched a couple videos about people who wanted to crush, you know, bricks and glass and plastic and all these things and, and combined it and it made it, made a machine that I could build and, and it works really, really well. Like it, I was really surprised. <laughs> I mean, I, I made the first one too small and I annihilated it like in the first two days and then I made a bigger one and then we've been using that one pretty strong for about seven months. It's awesome. So it's and, awesome. And you mentioned earlier that you were getting a bigger machine. I mean, does this mean that like you're buying an industrial grade yeah. glass mulcher or it, did, are you having to create that thing custom too? Um, well, there's one, there's going to be a tumbler that I'm going to sort of buy, um, sort of buy the parts for and modify it and turn it into sort of an agitator to make the more beach glass. Okay the larger pieces, soften them up, tumble it to make beach glass, because that looks really nice, and we can't do very large batches of that yet, because the, the machine that we have is pretty small. And so then, and then the other one, the bigger machine, I guess in size is the same size, but it's quiet, it's cleaner, um, and it has a, it, it only makes a small grain at the end of the day, so I can, we can make a lot of sand for for what we will be using sand for, and then our machine for the mulch for mulch orders, hmm. you know? So kind of just kind of diversify 
and then the tumbler for the larger pieces. So, you know, we're still trying to work what is the most, what, how we can sort of sustain this, you know. So we're just kind of trying, we don't know what, what the people's favorite is yet. So <laughs> hopefully we'll be on a shelf, you know, at a gardening store by the spring for the next gardening season, and then we'll really be able to tell. <laughs> so that's the, one of the winter goals. Cool. Uh, so Nicole, I mean, I know that your background was in architecture. You worked in architecture. And, I mean, coming from the world, my world, which is I know nothing about architecture and things like that, I mean, it would seem like the mold remediation component of building and dealing with buildings would be the less glamorous piece of it. So why did you get into it? I mean, what, why was that something? It seems like you're pretty passionate about the fact that you, you work hard to sort of educate people and, and sort of tell them about what to look for and how it works. I mean, why? Good question. Yeah. It isn't as glamorous. It is, um, actually, honestly, the biggest reason is I like the movement. I love to be on site. I like to be solving problems in person. Mm. And I like the, the constant change. You just never know what you're going to get tomorrow or today, this afternoon, uh, when the phone rings. So mm. I like the anticipation and the surprise of that. It also is a really good feeling to be able to solve very difficult problems. That's actually the, it's exciting, but it's also one of the hardest parts of our job is that it's not like building a new building or a new home where it's an exciting event where you can't wait to go and call someone and get working on this project. For us, it's never a good day when someone calls hmm. because one of the largest investments you own is now having a problem and that's really stressful. But on the other side is that the exciting part for us is that we've accumulated a lot of knowledge. We have an incredible team with different specialties. And it's just an incredible feeling when people are, they've called several people. They can't solve this problem. And then our team can. Hmm. And understand the why. So it's one thing to remediate. It's another thing to understand why did it grow in the first place. Hmm. Because you want to fix this problem before you remediate or spend any money. Hmm. So uh, getting to the bottom of that is, is exciting. So, yeah, it has its... I think the more exciting part is what kind of building we're going to be working in and yeah. what, you know, the people we're going to meet. Yeah, sure, sure. I mean, well, it seems like, look, whether you're working with mold or glass, you can find a way to make it, you know, glamorous. You find something really glimmering. You find a problem that you enjoy solving. And, you know, of course, like at the end of the day, like it seems smart business practices is finding something that other people aren't doing and figuring out the way to be the one doing it. And it's great to hear that both of you figured that out. So thank you both for being on Out the Lunch at Gadiana. You're welcome. It was yeah. really nice fun here. Uh, my guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana have been Tina Crapsey of Backyard Sapphire and Nicole Winger of Drymax. We edited this show to fit in the time slot here on KRVS, and you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Tina and Nicole and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find on our podcast app and on our website. It's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRBS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Boris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Kieran McIntosh. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Our researcher is Claire Como. I'm Christian Mader. I'm editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. For local news and commentary, head over to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. Till then, I'll see you here again next time for more business and conversation. I'm out to lunch at Katiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. 
Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com.